speaking of new classes, tomorrow night, Monday night, I think it's at, is it 6.30, Lacey? Um, uh, we are starting our Bible reading and interpretation class. This is hermeneutics, how to, how to interpret the Bible, how to apply the Bible. Th- this is a skill that every Christian needs to know. This is not like, you know, some accessory thing. If, if Jesus was right when he says man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that we would uh, spend time with him in his word every day. If, if that's true, and if that's one of the means by which we grow and and maintain spiritual health, then you and I have to become conversant. We, we have to become competent in being able to read the Bible and, and interpret it for ourselves. So that's what we're going to do uh, for the next uh, about 15 weeks starting tomorrow. And uh, you will love this. You, you, will, you will learn. You will grow. And uh, so if you haven't signed up, please sign up today. Uh, you can do that. Uh, is there stuff next door? And then there's books that we're going to use, um, and I hope that this will be a really fun journey. Uh, we've pulled together uh, a teaching team, uh, Pastor Terry, uh, David Gibson, uh, Lee Slaughter, and myself are going to tag team it, so hopefully you'll get a little bit of variety there, uh, and uh, it'll be a blessing. Um, we've sort of targeted our high school students in particular, but, but if you're an old person, you're welcome to come too. So uh, I will be there to join with you. Um, so tomorrow night, you can sign up today. Uh, but for now, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of First Timothy. And for those of you at home here on the Zoom, let me do this. Is Dave Reed here? Well, I remember Dave saying he came back from Ireland and he had to he had to hire a car also, and uh, uh, and it was well, yeah, I'm alive, so that's that's all I'm thankful for. So, okay, First Timothy. Um, First Timothy. Uh, we're titling. I'm, I'm titling this study "Instructions for a Healthy Church." Uh, as we as we get into the book of First Timothy, one of the things that we face today that the early church at Ephesus faced as well were challenges and hindrances to growth. Uh, I mean, j- just just think of like the last. Two years. Think, think of how we've had to respond to government regulations. We've had to respond to loss of confidence in government leaders. We, we've had to respond to differences of opinion amongst Christians about what to do about all sorts of things related to COVID. We, we've, we've seen and had to work through issues of gathering and, and staying at home and, and participating and, and, and all these sorts of things. And, and the health of our church depends on how we respond to various challenges. And uh, just like us, the early church faced a number of challenges from the inside and from the outside. We're going to learn about some of those challenges as we read through the book of 1 Timothy today. But suffice it to say, this is a book that, that outlines for us and teaches us what it means to be a healthy church. And, and even though the audience was different, uh, Paul was writing to Timothy, who was the, the pastor elder of the church at Ephesus. Nonetheless, we glean um, biblically inspired insight to how we can respond similarly to challenges that we face today. Now, it's a little bit different because we could call it instructions for a healthy church. We, we could also, um, let, let's do this here. There we go. We, we could also rightly call it uh, a faithful pastor, healthy church, because really what, what Paul is writing to Timothy about is how to be a faithful pastor. 
And, um, you know, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, I'm not a pastor, and, and so this isn't really relevant. It, it is relevant for a couple of reasons. It's relevant because Paul is just sharing with Timothy what should be going on in the church so that he can lead to that end. So it really does help us as believers, even though we may not have the pastor-elder role. But the other thing that it does, um, we... We add leadership to our church regularly. We must add leadership to our church regularly, especially as we grow and as our needs increase. And, uh, you know, that's that's not um, just something that the elders of the church do. Uh, the whole body of Christ, all of us need to be involved in identifying godly men uh, in roles such as elders and deacons um, and, and, and mature women that would serve in uh, various capacities as well. And, um, and and so this helps us to know what are we looking for in godly leadership. And I hope that as we learn about what God intends for pastors and elders, you would pray for those of us that are elders here, that you would pray that, that we would be what God is calling us to be, and that you would pray with us as we seek to identify and train up other godly men who can uh, be added to our leadership team, who can continue to lead us, like the Lord Jesus would. And, and so we could also call this something like pastoral guidance for a mature congregation because it, it's directed there. So so a lot of our study as we go through First Timothy this semester will sort of be eavesdropping on this conversation between an older pastor and a younger pastor. But I, I think that's insightful. I think we learn things from that and we, we grow as we do that. So to get us kind of oriented with this, um, just remind, remind yourself for a moment, if you look up on the screen here, um, and you're going to feel like this is an eye exam. That's what you get for sitting in the back rows, okay? There's all these front rows here. Um, this, this is a little bit of a chart of the New Testament letters, and, and I, you didn't, I didn't reproduce this in your outline because it's big. But, um, but essentially, the New Testament starts in the book of James. This is chronological order, the order in which the books were written in. And if you're a new Christian, or, or even if you've been a Christian for a while... Sometimes navigating through your Bible is a bit different or difficult because the books are not in chronological order. Uh, so this this kind of puts them in chronological order. So James was probably the first book written, along with First and Second Thessalonians, then First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Romans, Matthew, Luke, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, Philippians, which are called the prison epistles. Yes, some of you learned from last time. Great. Yes, from our our time in Colossians. And then the book of Acts, which is part two of uh, Luke's account. And then we get down to First Peter. And then down in this area, kind of in the mid-60s, uh, we'll zoom in here so you can actually see it there. Uh, we zoom in here on the mid-60s here. That's where we see uh, what we call the pastoral letters, the pastoral letters or pastoral epistles, if you want to sound profound. First um, Timothy, Titus, and Second Timothy. That's the order they were written in. And we see that Paul wrote 1 Timothy as he was in Macedonia leaving and uh, on his, uh, actually after his fourth missionary journey. And then we learned something of it there. So that just helps us to, to kind of get our bearing a little bit. And uh, you might be wondering, and again, if you're a, a seasoned Christian, you probably know all about the Apostle Paul. Uh, if you're new, this is a good reminder just to, to, to try to remember um, who's writing to this. So if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, we read this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, uh, and to Christ Jesus, 
who is our hope. Okay, so stop right there. That's the introduction to the book, and it tells us that the Apostle Paul, who was called by God to that role, is the writer, the human writer of our book. So uh, so just remind me, beyond the fact that he was an apostle, according to the commandment of God, what do you know about the Apostle Paul? Let's just let's just uh, lightning round it here. What do you know about the Apostle Paul that would help us to have some context as we read the letter? Yeah, run. Yeah, he was formerly known as Saul, so we'll put that up on the on the outline there. Formerly Saul, a Jewish Pharisee who persecuted Christians. If we go back to Acts chapter seven, uh, the book of Acts provides a lot of the history behind the letters that we're reading in the New Testament. And uh, you'll remember Stephen was the first martyr. You remember that? That happens at the end of chapter 7 where he is stoned to death because of his testimony uh, for Christ. And and amongst the uh, mob there was a young man named Saul, just like Ron said. And uh, so we can read about that in uh, in chapter 8, verses 1 to 3 of Acts, that he was um, not just participating in persecuting new Christians, he was a leader in the church persecution movement. This is this is the uh, the anti-Christian Taliban of the first century. Okay, this this is the terrorist cell of the first century against churches, and and the leader was not guys like you know Osama bin Laden. Uh, the leaders were guys like Saul of Tarsus, and um, and they were. Um, violently opposed to that early church. Why, by the way, why were they opposed to Christianity so much? What do you think? You, you don't, Aiden knows. I can see the wheels turning there. Why, why were they so opposed to Christianity? Roger? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Saul was a special type of Jewish leader. Do you remember uh, what he was called? Or you can just look on your notes or on the or on the board. But uh, what was he? He was a Pharisee. Uh, that was a, a class of religious leader. And if you remember from the Gospels, Jesus was constantly critiquing them because they added to the Bible and they made religion an external pursuit rather than a heart transforming reality. And so, yeah, they were not happy with him, were they? So, so they were persecuting Christians. J- just like, in some ways, like Islamic terrorism today is very much a religiously driven terrorism, that's what was going on in this day. It was a religiously driven terrorism against the early church. And, and Saul was, uh, was a part of that. And then we read in Acts chapter 9, this radical conversion that he has on the road to Damascus, and 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 so God tells him, okay, I want you to I want you to go and meet with this Christian man, and you can imagine if you know the local Islamic terrorist group, you know they're high up. Osama bin Laden wants to come and meet with you because he's converted to Christianity. Would you be just a little bit nervous about that? So you can you can read that about that in Acts chapter nine, uh, but just this amazing story. And little by little, early Christians began to see that hey, this is legitimate. He really did have a life transforming uh, experience with Jesus 
and not only became a godly Christian, but God used him uh, as a trophy of grace to write most of the letters of the New Testament as, as God does spirit uh, work to inspire those writings. So, so that's something of the Apostle Paul. Now you'll remember that um, uh, in Acts chapter 20, and I do want you to turn here, okay? Turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 20. And the reason I want you to turn here is because one of the places that, uh, that Paul went, when he was converted, uh, his name was changed to Paul. So from Saul to Paul. And um, in Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul spent years in the city of Ephesus. And where's my map here? There we go. Okay, so if you'll recall... Um, we'll come back to that in a minute. If you'll, if you'll recall... Um, that uh, uh, you know, this is kind of like modern-day Turkey. Here's uh, Israel, Syria, Lebanon, Egypt, and uh, so right in this region of sort of south modern-day Turkey, it was called Asia, part of Asia, Asia Minor, as opposed to Asia Major, Major, which was more to the east. Uh, there's this little city, Lystra, and there's also, as we move out to the coast, not too far from Colossae that we've been talking about over the summer is this little town called Ephesus. And if we just zoom in here, um, you can see, so here's Colossae, where we talked about in our last study, and here's the road, that, that main road that got redirected from, from through Colossae to going through Laodicea. But if you keep on that road, go all the way down to the coast, and then branch up to the north, you hit the city of Ephesus. And Paul sent a number of years there, and in Acts chapter 20, he leaves uh, Ephesus to move on on his journey, and there's this incredible prayer that he prays as he says farewell to the Ephesians. And uh, interestingly, if you're in Acts chapter 20, that's that's that that goodbye that he makes uh, to the Ephesians. But I want you to notice what he says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He says, "Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock." among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. He's talking to the elders. He's talking to the the pastor elders of Ephesus. Now look at what he says in 29. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Now, how he knew that, maybe the Holy Spirit had revealed that to him, or maybe he was just saying that as, as a danger that, that churches tend to drift in general. But, but suffice it to say, that's exactly what happened. Paul leaves Ephesus, he commissions the elders, he goes on his missionary journeys, and at some point along the way, he hears everything is going south at Ephesus. So Paul and his uh, young spiritual son in the faith, Timothy, go back and and they go to Ephesus and they're trying to make sense of what's going on and assessing the problem and and dealing with the false leadership and and dealing with uh, issues in the church. And at some point, Paul has to leave to go on for another appointment in Macedonia. And so who does he leave as the elder in charge at Ephesus to continue the work there? Okay, well, turn back to 1 Timothy 
chapter 1 then. Turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And let's read. Who does he leave in Ephesus to help with the restoration effort? He leaves his young friend, uh, young but spiritually mature, uh, the elder Timothy. Look at chapter 1, verse 2. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, now here's, here's the insight on how this came about. Look at verse 3. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. So Timothy was to stay then in Ephesus and continue the work there. That sets up the occasion for the letter of 1 Timothy. Okay, you got it now? So Paul's left. Timothy's there. There's, it's a mess. Timothy's working through all that. Paul's gone on to Macedonia. And so now he's, he's either in Macedonia or perhaps he's on the way to Macedonia. And he picks up his pen and he writes to send a letter back to Timothy to give him some specific instructions. It sounds like he had to kind of leave pretty quickly for some reason. Um, so who's, what do you know about Timothy? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, Timothy is a young pastor elder of the Ephesus church. That's where he is there. He's from Lystra, which uh, if you saw on the map a moment ago, I pointed it out. It's, it's kind of down in the south part of Asia Minor. He probably met Paul on his first missionary journey. So again, if we uh, advance to the map here, uh, you can see this is the first missionary journey. Paul's in Antioch. He sails to Cyrus. He comes up to Perga, he goes up to Poseida, over to Iconium, back to Poseida, down to Attila, and then uh, takes the boat back, or excuse me, um, Iconium, and then he goes to Lystra, to Derbe, and back. So this is, uh, as he comes through Lystra, this is probably where he met Timothy and likely led him to faith, because Paul often introduces Timothy as my spiritual son or my child in the faith, something like that. So it's likely that Paul actually preached the gospel to him. Uh, Timothy believed, and from that point on, Paul became a bit of a spiritual mentor to him. So if we go back here, then uh, he's from Lystra. Probably Paul met him on his first missionary journey. Later, Paul is going to choose him in Acts 16 to serve with him in ministry. And, and you'll notice this. As you're reading through the Bible, very often when Paul introduces one of his letters, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. You know, and, and then he says, and... Timothy, our brother. So, so that means that as Paul is writing a lot of these letters, Timothy is with him. Timothy is partnering with him in the ministry. So as, as you get the picture of what it was like in the first century, and Paul's going all over the place ministering the gospel and establishing churches and caring for people, um, Timothy was one of the guys who was often with him. He's, he, he's in the background, but he's there accompanying Paul along the way. And we see that, as I mentioned there in the notes there, Timothy is mentioned often in the New Testament, accompanying Paul on journeys and being sent to care for believers on Paul's behalf. Okay, and there we have some uh, um, those maps there to help us with that. Now, with that in mind, we can start filling in some, some background information. Uh, we know that the author is the Apostle Paul. We know that he's writing to Timothy. And it's about 65 A.D. Now, you remember, uh, for those of you that were with us in the class for Colossians last semester, Paul's writing from prison. He's in prison awaiting his appeal to the Roman government. Remember, uh, he was uh, arrested 
uh, you know, it talked about in the book of Acts, and he goes before the, the local magistrate, and he appeals to Caesar because he's a Roman citizen. He believes he's being uh, persecuted unjustly, so he appeals to Caesar. So they throw him on a boat, and they send him to Rome to stand before the Caesar. And on the way, he gets shipwrecked, and you know, the, you know he eventually gets to Rome, and he's under house arrest awaiting trial. Well, he goes to trial. Apparently, it goes well because he gets released, and then he has one little... Um, sort of the last couple of years of his ministry uh, of ministering the gospel before he's again arrested this time to take to go to Rome where uh, he will be uh, executed for his faith so in that in that little bit of time between the end of his fourth missionary journey and the the house arrest in Rome and his actual death in Rome uh, he writes the book of first Timothy Titus and 2 Timothy. So we're, we're looking at about 65 AD when that happens. Okay? Now, take your Bible, and uh, I'm going to teach you right now the secret to learning a book of the Bible. You might want to write this down. Read it. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to read through the book of 1st Timothy at least once every week. And you know what? That, that's setting the bar way too low. You should read this once a day. It's six very short chapters. It's probably going to take you 10 minutes at most to do it. Uh, some of you have commutes. You can put it on your, your audio Bible on your phone and listen to it on your way in. But I want you to get familiar with this book. That's how we learn biblical books. Okay, so I'm going to read through it. Yes, I'm going to read through the whole book right now. Shocking that we would read through the Bible in church, right? And, um, and I want you to start listening for why this book was written. Why was this letter written? We got a little bit of it in, in that first verse there. But as you'll see, there's a lot more to it than that, okay? Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully realizing the fact that the law was not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which I have been entrusted and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me in service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. 
and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, yes, that is where we get to him, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies made previously concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I'm not lying. And as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. And a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was created, first created, and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. And yes, we'll talk about what that means at some point. It is a trustworthy statement. If a man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be the one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested and then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and of their households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. 
Now I'm writing these things to you hoping to come before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. Just underline that, put a little star there, okay? That's our theme verse. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. That was probably an early hymn that he quotes there. Now the spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrine of demons uh, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those, shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if, if, if it is to be received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by the means of the word of God and prayer." Now, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ, Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine, which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we had fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech and conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Take take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both through yourself and for those who hear you. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are widows indeed, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first be must learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works. And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to put younger, younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires and disregard to Christ, they want to get married. Thus, in incurring condemnation, because they have set aside their previous pledge. 
At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she is to assist them and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Now, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. And those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evident, going on before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. And all those who are younger, who are under the yoke as slaves, are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have uh, believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. And if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy and strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness is actually a means of great gain when it's accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, and so we can take nothing out as well either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testifies the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in inapproachable light, who no man has seen or can see, to him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. 
Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. O Timothy, guard which has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. I get excited just reading about it. We get to spend the next fall looking into it, okay? Read it. Get into it, and as you read, you're going to discover some of the purposes. Let's look very briefly at some of those uh, that we uh, we're going to see and that we just read about. Okay, so the location there is um, uh, following from Macedonia, right? So he's on his way to Macedonia. He's writing there. Look at these purposes with me. I'll just put them up here so you can see them here. Some of the, these are we, some of the things we just read that you uh, uh, you heard, right? What are we going to learn in terms of the purposes of the letter? Uh, the, the main theme of the letter. Did you, did you read it in First Timothy chapter three, verse fifteen? I believe this is uh, sort of the purpose of the letter. If we can sum it up in one verse, look at. He says in verse fourteen, "I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you." And then fifteen, he says, "In case I don't get there." I am delayed. I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. It's instructions for a healthy church, right? But listen to this. Listen to what he says. Why must we get it right? Because the church is the church of God, the the church of the living God. We are the pillar and support of the truth. If we are going to hold forth the truth of God in our church as a representative of God, as a light to the Gentiles, as a hope for the nations, we have to be a healthy church. Our light shines brightest when we're unified and maturing and growing and a, and a strong pillar and support for the truth of God. And that's why we need this letter. So that's the main purpose, right? And, and he gives us some specifics here. He's going to remind us that our goal, the goal of everything we do is love, love for God and love for neighbor. He calls us to fight the fight of faith as things get difficult, as as, uh, persecution and difficulty arises. He calls us in chapter 2, verse 1, to pray for rulers. Even the ones you don't like. He tells us, uh, he gives us specific instructions for men and women. I mean, if you're a man, don't you want to know what God's will is for your life? Well, it's in 1 Timothy. If you're a woman, instructions that, for, that God has for you are in First Timothy. What it means to walk with Him in maturity. We read about church officers. We're called to prepare for the latter days when people will fall away. But there was a whole section there about caring for widows and caring for our own. And then those, those uh, uh, warnings for, for riches, right? Did you read it? It's not, the, it's not money is the root of all evil. It's what? The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. So, so why do we need 1 Timothy? Why do we need 1 Timothy? I think we need 1 Timothy because we want to be an effective, healthy church. Do you want to be an effective, healthy church? Do you want to be a part of the work God is doing today through local churches as we would uphold the truth of God, a pillar and support of the truth, the, 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 pill, the household of God is, is what we are? If, we, if we're going to do that, 
We have to be faithful. We have to be healthy. We have to be growing. We have to be purposeful. We have to be moving in the right direction. And 1 Timothy is a roadmap for a healthy church. It's instructions for a healthy church and those of us in leadership as we would read. So we want to be a healthy, effective church. We need to think clearly about the roles of men and women. Uh, This is part of what led me to want to do 1 Timothy. Uh, Even in evangelical churches, the the complementarian roles of men and women in the church and in the home are eroding and being distorted and being stretched that we're losing... We're losing the purpose that God has for us as men and women. We need to readjust some of those things. We need godly, qualified leaders to lead us. And 1 Timothy is going to help us to know what we're looking for. And and for those of us that lead and are, are heading that direction, it reminds us of what we're called to do. We need to prepare for the last days. We need to address everyday challenges in the church. And there are many that are represented here. And finally, we need to avoid the deception of riches. And yes... We are all rich by biblical standards, which means those warnings, uh, those aren't for the guys that live in the high-end you know, communities of Dallas County or Beverly Hills or something like that. It's us. So we need 1 Timothy to um, guide us and direct us. We need instructions to be a healthy church. And I'm so glad that we're going to take this journey together. All right, so let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for a book like this that uh, is so instructive to what we need today. We need to hear from you to be healthy and thriving and unified, that we would uphold the truth of the gospel with light and, and authenticity and effectiveness. And we know there are a thousand things that would distract us, undermine that effort, cause us to... Uh, bicker with one another to, to put our efforts in things that really don't matter. So, so guide us in these next few weeks that we might grow in health and in maturity and in unity as we would eavesdrop on this God-inspired conversation between the Apostle Paul and his beloved son, Timothy. Thank you uh, that we have the opportunity to do this. And as we do, will you change us more into the image of Christ that we might reflect his glory We pray in his name. Amen.